Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. Perhaps the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Welcome to today's episode of the Leadership is Changing podcast highlights 2021. And uh, I want to welcome you to today's session. And I've got three wonderful guests from their different episodes that I'm going to share a little bit of a snippet from it. And then I'm going to encourage you to go and listen to the full episode. Now, from episode 114, Dr. Rob McClelland, he is the title of, the, of that episode is The World is Moving Faster Than Ever and It Will Never be the slow again. He's a tremendous guy. He's passionate like about leadership like I am. And yeah, really great guy to, to have actually interviewed and had a discussion in relation to leadership. So have a listen to that. And then from episode 194, Paula Quincy, the next pandemic is burnout. And we're starting to see that happening quite a bit. And we're actually starting to see suicides and other things as well in various countries. So have a listen to that as well. And then from episode 120, Stephanie, or Steph as we call her, Stephanie Cousins, successful leaders hire on potential. Now, Rob is based in the US, Paul is based in South Africa, and Steph is based in Australia. It is great to be with you. I am as passionate about leadership as you are, Dennis, and so thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's a real pleasure. Look, I've given that introduction about you. Is there anything else about your background that you might want to tell us? Well, most people are shocked to find out that uh, I grew up in an extremely poor family. We were on welfare. We were in government housing in a small community in uh, Northern California. I never met my dad. My mom was an alcoholic who would go to the bars and come home with a different guy every night. And I didn't ever think we had it bad. That was just my reality. Where we lived in the community, there were no rich people. And that was just kind of how life was. As a result of that, when I started getting some of these opportunities, I've been grateful right from the very beginning. And now it's a privilege to start giving those opportunities to other people who came out of rough backgrounds. And I love doing it. 
Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, to see what you've done as well around the podcast that you have, 700 episodes, that whole journey of doing that has been fantastic. And would you say that you've done that by yourself or have you had a team around you? How have you got to 700 episodes? Yeah, I appreciate that. What a great question. I tried to do it by myself for about a year, but I always found excuses or other things. I I certainly had enough money to buy what I needed to buy. So I thought, well, if I buy one more course, if I do one more thing, and uh, and I just was putting it off. Finally, I started hiring with a uh, virtual assistant, and we've built our team out from there. In my various businesses, just the personal businesses, I have about 30 employees now, and they crush it, and they keep me accountable every day. It's interesting how we can buy as many courses, we can go to as many workshops, we can do as many things as we like, but if we don't put it into action, execution, and get on with it, it's never going to happen. And uh, that's just a, a prime example. Yeah, it's it's so true. We teach that to others, but I think the reason we're so passionate about it is because we've failed there in our own past, and that yep. allows us to catapult forward now. Excellent. So how did you get into, into leadership? Yeah, great question, especially with my background. I think that it was probably with sports in the beginning. So I had that rough background, but I was always a fairly athletic kid and, and kind of smart. I didn't have to study is hard to get good grades. And so that gave me extra time to go to all the practices. And I had some really good coaches, some people who would kick my rear for me, wouldn't let me get away with anything. And they cared about me growing as a young man, not just about being a good athlete that would help Mm. the team in some way. And seeing their leadership, I thought, oh my goodness. I think there was this heart cry for me of Man, whoever their kids are, the luckiest person in the world to have a dad or someone like that who would, you know, put some boundaries out there and care for them. Uh, But I saw good leadership even from my high school coaches, and I thought, I want to be more like that. Yeah, excellent. And, you know, even if you think about your background as well, you're saying about you didn't get to know your dad and, and so forth, and then seeing kids like that. But I think where I see all of that is the fact that, you know, we have some role models in front of us and, and other ones that really sort of set us up for, for things. And that could be the role models from a positive perspective, but also from a negative perspective. And, and those experiences actually help us set up for, for things as well. Talking about role models, who's your favorite leader? Now, this person could be alive or from history. So who's your favorite leader and why? If I went for all time, then 100% sure it is uh, Jesus. I know that he's the greatest leader of all time. And I think that was because he didn't judge people, but he still loved them enough to tell them the truth. So here you have this guy who never ventured more than 100 miles from his hometown. There was no social media. He changed the globe more than anyone else ever have. And so that those two foundations of love and truth are very, very powerful. And that's why those are the two foundations of my executive coaching business today. Will I love them enough to say something? And as a result of that, you know, you say, well, what year is it? 2021. Based on what? Well, that goes back in history to this guy who lived in the Middle East who cared about people and would tell them the truth and it changed the world. So that's in history, probably modern day. Lots that I could name, two that come to mind right off. Jamie Dimon, the head of Chase Banks. I really like him, and you don't hear him mention much, but he's a guy who came out and said, hey, Bitcoin's a fraud, don't go there. And then all of a sudden, a year later, he's like, I was 100% wrong, here's why. We are going to start embracing this, and this was my mistake, and I held us back from doing better sooner. He was also very transparent and forthcoming about his some medical conditions he had. And so I love that kind of transparency, vulnerability. I think we need more of that in our leadership. 
And uh, again, I can name a lot. You know, one of those, one of my business partners, a guy named Hans Struzina. And uh, Hans was a U.S. Olympic athlete. So top of his game, right? In the last Olympics, he was rowing for the United States, favorite to win the gold medal, goes to Brazil, and he comes in fourth place and misses a medal. Huge, huge personal failure. And so he comes back. Well, you know what he has done is he has said, man, that hurt so bad. What did I learn about myself and what have I learned about others and how can I help people to shift their mindset when they go through failure? And I, I just think this guy is such a stud. I love the dude. And so people like that are all over. If you'll open your eyes and look for them, you have uh, heroes all over and I, I enjoy just being part of their lives when I have that opportunity. Yeah, what an awesome, I mean, it must have been very, very hard for him, but what an awesome platform to learn, to move on and, and learn from our failures, to come back stronger, to come back a more effective leader, leader and just to move that mindset shift is, is amazing. So given the brief introduction to you, to our listeners on the show here, tell us a little bit more about your background. So in my previous lifetime, as I like to call it, I had a corporate background. I worked in corporate for over 16 years, originally in a marketing and advertising role. That's what I originally studied. But through my own personal journey, I got into coaching and facilitating and training, very passionate about human behavior and people development. So that's the space I like to play in, as I call it. And it really is around me seeing myself as a catalyst, in other words, holding that space for people, whether it's individuals or teams within organizations, to shift and grow in their journey. And so hence, seeing myself as a growth mindset catalyst, and as you mentioned, also a passionate advocate for mental health and, and wellness, which is very topical, and also gender-based violence. Okay. Oh, wow. What a, what a background. And thanks for sharing. So tell me, when did you sort of go into the coaching facilitation and that in your own business? How long ago was that? So I started off doing it part-time initially in 2009. I trained up it as a Imago relationship therapy facilitator and educator, which is primarily working with couples around relationships and relationship dynamics. And then over the years, did additional training. So I'm an NLP, Neuro Linguistic Practitioner Life coach. I'm also a PDA analyst, trainer, and facilitator, so behavior profiling. And I was doing it in the evenings and the part-time with the view that, you know, one day I would I would do this as my second career when I got tired of being in the corporate world. But as the universe works, when you keep putting something out there, it keeps throwing it in your path, I think, to test how, how badly you want it or how serious you are about it. So I left corporate in 2014 to go into doing this work full-time. Yeah, it's interesting how you talk about maybe time of that corporate world. And I think what we're seeing at the moment as well for a lot of people around the lockdowns and so forth, people are physically, mentally, and emotionally tired. And and what was the transition like for you going from that corporate side into your own business? What was it like for you? I initially struggled, we'll be completely honest. I, you know, going for a coffee meeting with a potential client or prospect or colleague that I was, you know, wanting to build a network with, I felt guilty because I wasn't working. I wasn't at the office. I wasn't at my desk, you know, that sort of corporate mentality that you have to be in the office and you have to be at the at your desk to be productive. Not realizing that building relationships is part of being productive. You know, it's part of the journey. So I did struggle initially, but it did being in corporate also taught me things around being disciplined, you know, particularly in terms of a morning routine and setting yourself up for your day in terms of a, a positive frame of mind and having that hard start and hard 
stop to the end of your day, which I think a lot of people now are struggling with, especially working from home, because it's so easy for those personal and work hours to be blurred. Mm. That transition between going to work and coming home from work is no longer there for sure. And, and yeah, it is quite interesting how that transition between going from a corporate role into your own business is totally different for sure. You mentioned before a couple of things, which I'm going to, we're going to probably, one of them is going to be around the mental health. And we'll talk more about that as we go through our different questions today. But you also talked about holding the space to shift and grow. What do we mean by that? So when I work with a team or individuals, it's first of all getting a perspective of where are they at right now and what is going on for them and where do they want to go to? And then how do we map Mm. out a path that helps them get from point A to point B? A lot of it is to do with support. A lot of it is to do with being a sounding board and also providing practical tools and strategies that I have gained through my professional training, but also that I have applied through my own personal experience that's helped me in my own journey and and providing those insights to the people that I'm working with to help them shift and grow. Oh, great. Yeah, very good. And quite an interesting skill set to have there as well, but also great for people to learn how to shift and grow and move forward into different areas they want to as well. So here's a question for you. How did you get into leadership? So I'm of the view that you don't need a fancy job title to be a leader. Mm. And I read an awesome book, which I highly recommend. It was Robin Sharma, who he originally wrote the book, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. But they don't talk about his other book, which is The Leader Who Had No Title. Mm. And was one of the best books that I read because it really gave me insights into, and it's part of the work that I do, that before you can lead in the home and before you can lead in the workplace, you have to be able to lead yourself. And so leadership for me is being able to be proactive, take initiative, constantly adapt yourself to an ever-changing landscape and have a positive impact on the people around you in the process and also have an open mindset to learning and growing as well. Yeah, well, I mean, what an interesting book, right? I'm really, really cool too. I'm glad you brought this up because in relation to the leader who had no title, even some leaders or managers, as I call them, who do have a title, they're not very good at leadership. They don't come across as good leaders. And so, and I noted you just mentioned before something which was really quite interesting around how you lead at home and how you lead in the workplace. But first of all, you need to lead yourself. And I think, you know, I've talked in other episodes too before about this as well, but there is no religion, no sporting team, no political party in the world everyone agrees on, but there's one thing that all airlines agree on. Put that mask on first before you help anyone else. And it's going back to exactly what you just said there, right? So you got to look after yourself, be the best you can be, lead yourself, then you can lead other people. Absolutely. And I think it's also, and I say this respectfully, but I think over the years from a society and a corporate sector, we've made leadership out to be this huge, great thing, this fancy Mm. title. And yes, it comes with wonderful perks and benefits. And if you're lucky, a a fancy corner office, well, that was pre-COVID times, right? (laughs) But if you really look at it, what leadership really is about, it's about working with people, leading people, managing people and inspiring people. Yeah, so I'm based here in Melbourne, Australia. And as you said, I'm global co-CEO of Talent Beyond Boundaries, which is really innovative, exciting startup organization in the nonprofit sector. So a bit of a change for me coming from larger nonprofits. So I love the the topic of your podcast because I think I've really experienced this change in leadership that comes from moving from larger organizations to smaller organizations. But yeah, I think that's that's probably enough. As you say, very passionate about human rights and social 
development issues and feeling very fortunate to be working for an organization where I can put those passions to direct use. Excellent. So listeners, I'm really looking forward to this conversation about the questions I've got around leadership and leadership has changed. The first question I've got here for you, Steph, is how did you get into leadership? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's funny because you can be into leadership at quite junior positions in an organization sometimes, I think. And for me, I got into leadership, I would say, by doing projects myself. So I actually used to, when I was in my early 20s, I ran a film festival, co-ran a film festival with my now husband. (laughs) That's actually how we met. And yeah, we used to run a film festival across Melbourne that ran for a few years and was just like, you know, totally not to do with my university or to do with, you know, a proper job or anything like that. But it was leadership in the sense that we did everything ourselves we built up a team we kind of like created this thing from the ground up and I think that gave me that really hooked me on really entrepreneurship I think like the idea that you can build something yourself and you can corral people around it and you can you know build a team and be part of a team and and get something off the ground like that so it really started there but then in my mid-20s I guess I started working for Oxfam And I was really lucky at Oxfam to have a manager and mentor who really allowed me to have a lot of space to make decisions and to take on big projects and, you know, to make mistakes and it wasn't a big deal. And he just backed me completely and supported me, you know, to have that freedom and gave me one particularly large project, which when I look back and I think about my age and my experience at the time was like a really big project to to give someone like me and it worked we pulled it off, but basically it was this project called Refugee Realities, which was a simulated refugee experience that that the idea of it was to give Australians a sense of like, why do people flee? And we worked with about 20 refugees who were living in Australia to kind of understand their stories and to pull their stories into the simulation. So it was kind of part theatre, part education project. And we had about 8,000 visitors come through the site where it was on. We had 200 volunteers. We had probably 20 partner organisations that were part of it. And that was really kind of my, my first big experience of leadership, I think, having to manage so many people and, and you know, take on a level of risk that if it, if it failed, it would have, would have been a bit of a big deal. But yeah, I think that, that was really, I was just so lucky to have a manager who was willing to back me and support me to do that at a pretty early stage in my career. Yeah, and I think uh, managers that do do that with their staff to back them and it's really wonderful to see. What do you think I mean, managers who are leaders who do that, I mean, how do they take that risk? What, what do they see in someone else to allow them to say, okay, let's give this person a chance? What do you think goes through their mind? Yeah, I have thought about this so many times. And actually, my my manager now, or my the, the co-founder of Talent Beyond Boundaries, who really got me into Talent Beyond Boundaries, his name's John Cameron. His, his mantra is you hire on potential and you look for potential. And I just think it must be a gut thing in a way. But it's also probably a a personality thing that you can tolerate risk and it's actually okay if you give you know responsibility to someone who's not fully tried and tested because you're okay with the you know the flip side which is it may not work perfectly well but I think yeah hiring on potential I really I've taken that mantra to heart because I think that also is a really important way of looking for people who may not have like the typical profile or the you know when we think about trying to build diverse teams for example you've got to look at people who maybe have been 
been marginalized or they haven't had access to all of the, you know, like core resources and supports that would help get them into a position where they're like ticking all of the boxes for a leadership position. So you really do need to look for potential and how you nurture that potential in order to hire people from different backgrounds as well and not kind of cookie cutter replacements of the same white leaders, <laughs> basically, to put it <laughs> to put yeah. it that way. Yeah. So I think there's something in that in, in managers that can handle the risk and, and look for potential, not just looking for someone to fill a need to take the work off their plate or to, to obviously do a job that's that's highly needed, but to do it in a way that you give the person space to grow into the role as well. It's really amazing how you see people. And I work with a lot of executives and senior leaders, and I talk to them about a, them and their careers, where they're going next, but also them bringing in other people as well. And, you know, they look to hire people based on a degree and you know, based on this and based on that. And the, and the resume doesn't always reflect the person. It just reflects words and some titles and things like that. And it's just like, no, get to know the person. That's why I always say to people, the power of your network and their network's network is so strong because if somebody comes to me and says, hey, Steph, you've got to hire Steph because of A, B, C, and D, and, you know, Steph and that, and they're giving their own backing about it, that is so more powerful than, than anything else, right? And it's just huge. Absolutely. And, you know, this is, you know, th- that is just the, the rule 100%, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm. But there's so many bad things that come from that, you know, like that's why Talent Beyond Boundaries exists in a way because there's a whole not a cohort, there's literally 25 million refugees around the world who are stuck in countries where they can't legally work for the most part because they're seen as, you know, a drain on society. You know, they're they're kind of treated as second-class citizens in a way. And it's, yeah, it's this crazy situation because there's so many talented professional people in that group. So many people with skilled trades, you know, experience working in different fields that they could make a contribution, but they're just not seen like that. And they don't have the networks necessarily. And that's really like Talent Beyond Boundaries is about trying to connect those people with employers in other countries so that we can actually profile them and say, these are good people to hire, you know, like, honestly, trust us, we've met with these people. And yeah, it does make it really really hard if you don't have the networks and you're in that kind of marginalized position it can make it really hard to break through and I think that's that's a very important kind of function that an organization like Talent Beyond Boundaries plays and there's lots of other organizations doing it that kind of work as well trying to create the network for people who don't automatically have that to tap into. You know, and I think about my dad in particular, he comes from Greece, right? And he came to New Zealand, I think, just on 61 years ago. And it was just after the wars and so forth. And, you know, as a young guy, he came here, didn't speak English, came here. But the only thing, the reason, I mean, one of the reasons he came here was to be with his father's brother, who was happened to be here, who came here with him. There was nobody here from that community and so forth. And, you know, I know they're not refugees. However, they were migrants that came across and it wasn't easy for them. And, you know, the stories that he shared with me and but I see a lot of Australia a lot of New Zealand have been built on refugees on migrants and people coming in and, and seeing what they've done it's just been an amazing story that each and every single one of them will actually have to, to share absolutely maybe there's a new podcast we could start yeah. you know? <laughs> exactly absolutely there's so many stories and I think you're right you know the migrant experience and the refugee experience is very similar in that respect that you know you're really you're building up Again, maybe people have got some connections in the country, but compared to where they've come from and the kinds of networks and supports and even just like the local knowledge that you have from your own country, you know, it's, I can't think of anything more 
you need to be very resilient to be a migrant or a refugee, I think, and to make it through and to, you know, make a go of it. And I think we find it must be a very resilience building experience as well, because so many people of refugee and migrant backgrounds, as you say, do really well and have made a huge impact and contribution to the countries that they've settled in. Wow, listeners, some awesome sharing there by my guests that I have had on the Leadership is Changing podcast over the last sort of year or so and uh, sharing their, and it's been wonderful just to share the highlights from 2021, in particular from episode 114, 194, 120 with Rob, Paula and Steph. Now, I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to the full episodes of the ones that I've just shared in this highlights episode and take notes. There are some great things that all three guests are sharing and that I think will actually help you and whatever you're wanting to do around leadership and so forth. So, hey, take notes and then do something with those notes as well. Hey, if you haven't already checked out the Facebook group or the LinkedIn page, Leadership is Changing, go ahead and do that. And uh, we'd love to see you actually join us on those different platforms. So go along and find them, join them, and contribute to the actual community. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they're being released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, and your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if there's a question you have for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, then send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 